This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, it's that time on Tuesdays for this man to walk in wearing his buckskins, carrying a flintlock rifle and a coonskin cap, and that cap stinks. Uh, good morning, Dr. History. I'm going to leave the hat out in the pickup. <laughs> Please. The flies. Yeah, the flies. Yeah. Good morning, Zeb. Uh, I want to apologize for last week. We had a real difficult time for the local listeners. And so, folks, if you missed last week, you can go to my webpage, dr-history.com, or just Google Dr. History, and you'll be able to listen to last week's show. I apologize. I re-recorded it, and you should be able to hear it okay. Okay. Yeah, we had some technical oh, difficulties. Yeah, sorry about that. Cell phones should all be laying in the bottom of the Snake River. <laughs> well, I couldn't have reached it from my house, but I could have got it halfway there. What are we going to do? Yeah, uh, so this is the last Tuesday of the month of March, which we've been honoring women of the Old West and and people that I think have not been heard of much. So today, we're going to talk about frontier teachers. Wow, that's a good subject. Those people really, they had to be tough. They did, and you'll know as I go along here. So there's a quote here by Emmeline Wells. She says, in their way, pioneer women were the molders and shapers of Western society, mothers, wives, business owners, school moms, slowly but surely exerting their influence on the cities, towns, and communities in which they lived. Now, I come from a line of school teachers, Zeb. My dad started teaching south of Filer in a one-room schoolhouse mm-hmm. that, where they lived in it, and uh, he taught grades one through, I think, five or six. I went to a country school. Yeah. And one through eight. And in some ways, that was a... a good good I think my education was as good as anything yeah so picture this okay it's a warm noonday sun it was shining down on this small little log schoolhouse uh, uh, near the base of a mountain overlooking the Missoula Valley in Montana Mm -hmm. the year is 1878 the windows of the building were open, and there was a nice breeze kind of filtering through uh, into the single room that had 11 students. Olive Pickering was a young teacher from New Hampshire. She sat behind her desk reading aloud to her class. Her students were just enthralled with the story. They were hanging on every word. Now, picture this. Outside, there are several Native American from the Salish tribe, and they were perched on a post uh, just listening to the lesson. So the Indians were outside. Outside, right. Uh, Why? They weren't invited inside? Well, 
or wouldn't come. I see. Uh, but they were outside. So the story fascinated both the pupils and the Indians that were outside. Now, when she got through with the lesson and dismissed the class, she watched the Indians. They kind of hung around for a little bit. Then they headed off to their homes. Did they understand English? They must have been able to at this point, because okay. that was that was eighteen ninety seven somewhere in there. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay, or eighteen seventy eight. So, probably they did. But beginning in eighteen forty six, there were hordes of settlers and their families traveled by land and water, converged on the west from all parts of the country, and a lot of them were hunting for gold or uh, to mine or good farmland or a good place to ranch. They explored or settled every part of the region from Nome, Alaska to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And towns sprang into existence, and with this influx of people, of course, they always formed a church. They uh, made laws, uh, schools were established, and concerned parents realized they needed to establish a formal education system. So uh, schools are necessary and good teachers along with them. And without them, their children would become what they called orphans of progress. So they saw the need and the importance. That's what I was going to ask you. Did the families that lived on the frontier at that time, did they respect education enough to really want their kids to go? I think it depended on the parents' attitude. You know, uh, I think some parents may have thought, nah, you don't need that. You just need to know how to work. I see. And others, I think, thought, yeah, you need to learn how to read and write and do math, things like that. But uh, the pioneers who felt the same had the foresight to set aside land where schools could be built. And later they uh, sought contributions from the residents for the upkeep of the schoolhouse and supplies for the pupils. So uh, the local people had to support the school. It was not done by a county or a state or anything like that at, at that point. At that point, it wasn't taxation. It was just donation. Right. I exactly. See. I see. Now, among the population pushing the boundaries of the Mississippi River were daring female educators who hoped to find work teaching frontier boys and girls how to read and write. And all that was initially required of teachers was that they be able to count, read and write, and mend a pen. A quill pen. That really? was that was it. Uh-huh. So there was no requirements as far as college or anything. But these new school marms were energetic, and they arrived. They were able to just do a lot of things other than teach the basics. So now some uh, immigrants felt it was only proper that a schoolmaster teach their children, a man, how to read and write. And the scarcity of professionals of either gender on the frontier made it impractical to turn away women who offered this service. So according to an 1890 census, 11% of the country's female teachers lived in the West. Now, although studies in the 1870s showed that pupils under women teachers had actually improved more than those taught by men. Really? School moms were still paid less. Uh, women educators were paid $54.50 a year. How it's much? $54.50 a year. Oh, my. A man, a schoolmaster, was paid $71.50. And forty cents. Holy! Even cow. though they were uh, the better teachers, the the female. A so, year. Yeah. Now, did they supply? They being the community, uh, living quarters and everything. I think it would depend on the the community. I see. In some cases, uh, they lived with. They would take turns living with families. Oh. For say a month at a time or a few weeks at a time. <clears throat> but educational pioneers encouraged ladies to enter the field and take their talent into this wild and uncharted territory. Um, and it was against the popular lo- notion that men made better teachers because they were more firm with the students. 
But I guarantee you there were some females. They didn't female... know my grade school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I lived in fear for a few of mine. I didn't Boy. dare cross. Mrs. Kiltz, God bless you in heaven. <laughs> yeah. So between 1847 and 58, more than 600 female teachers traveled across the frontier to provide youngsters with an education. There were few opportunities for respectable work for women in the early 1800s. So teaching was the most popular profession for women in the 1840s. How did they make it on like 50 bucks a year? Well, I'm going to bet that most of them did something else, too. You know, sewing or uh, whatever. But there was a gal by the name of Luella Fergus. She was a 14-year-old girl living in Illinois. It was the only thing she wanted to do. And she had a father living in Montana Territory in 1862. And she wrote him a letter and asking about the requirements that she needed to enter the field of teaching. And so what he said is, if you can do sums and fractions, you can teach. So basically, if you knew how to do a little bit of math, you could be a teacher. You were in. Yeah. Now, there's a lady that I talked about uh, a year or two back. Her name was Sister Blandini. I remember Blandina. that. I remember that. And she was the one, if you go back and listen to that, she was one of the ones that nursed one of Billy the Kid's yeah. uh, partners back to health. Yeah. Anyway, she taught in the New Mexico Territory in the 1880s for virtually no pay. Any funds that were donated to her for her work, she turned back into the school to be used to purchase writing utensils, books, upgrades to the schoolhouse. There was another lady, Sarah Royce, initially agreed to teach the children the three R's in her home in Grass Valley, California in 1857 in exchange for homemade preserves and eggs. So no money exchanged hands. Hmm. So This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code program. Uh, the motivation was just to improve the minds of boys and girls in the land. So you had to have a real 
passion, I guess, or dedication to wanting to teach. I was going to say, I mean, a lot of movies, Western movies, portrayed the early school marms, if you will. One in particular that I know you've seen, and it's been done three or four different times. My favorite was with Joel McRae, the Virginian. And see, his girlfriend was a teacher from back east that came out to the Wild West in Wyoming. And and I'm going to talk a little bit about something related to that. Oh. So, but the teachers who did receive a regular salary felt that educating the youngsters was necessary for the betterment of mankind. And some actually believed that it was a divine duty. Really? It was kind of like a, a, a call from God to yeah. teach. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Flora Davis Winslow in 1875, in her journal, she said, quote, I teach school because I wish to be independent and not beholding to my friends for a livelihood. I go west to do the will of my Father in heaven. Wow. Pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, for many students, their teachers were heroic figures who introduced them to a whole world of possibilities. Uh, the educators were resourceful. They were tenacious. They were fearless. Uh, Olive Mann Isbell and Hannah Clapp came to class armed with guns in order to keep their students safe from hostile Indians who threatened them. Are you kidding? No. Now, I'll tell you another story. There was a a, a school out here that uh, the boys kept running off the teachers. Uh Uh-huh. The next teacher that came in happened to be a man. He walked up to the front of the class, pulled out a six-shooter, and laid it on the table on the desk. He didn't have any trouble with the boys after Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Mary McClench Gray and Lucia Darling trekked hundreds of miles over treacherous country to bring their gift of teaching to boys and girls in the most remote areas of the Western Legion. region. Uh, limited school books and supplies did not stop teachers like Eliza Mott from helping children to learn how to read. Now, why have I heard that name before? Um, did you do a story? I, I might have a long time ago, but get this, Eb. She taught the elf, alphabet to her students using the inscriptions on tombstones at a nearby cemetery. That's oh. how she taught them what how a, to read. What a quaint little classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Come on, folks. We're going to go to the cemetery. Oh, I can't hardly wait. We're going to learn your ABCs, <laughs> you know. But pioneer communities grew in prosperity and stability as a result of the work of these early teachers. Now, a lot of these educators displayed courage in other ways. In addition to her talent for teaching, Elizabeth Scott possessed a daring drive to see to it that neglected children in black communities had an opportunity to learn as well as the children of white settlers. In 1854, she opened the first African-American school in Sacramento. Now, Elizabeth, a widow with three children who had moved to California from New Bedford, Massachusetts, taught 14 pupils in a small classroom in the basement of her home. And just in a few years, five years, by 1859, the number of pupils enrolled at the school were more than 200. I need you to move that mic. How's that? That's good right there. So she was an, uh, a pioneer in, in starting teaching for, for African-Americans. They really kids. were dedicated. They were. They were. It's amazing. Now, Swedish-born teacher uh, Elise Amelie uh, immigrated to the Texas Panhandle in 1847. She did not have a teaching position, but she helped raise money to build the first school in the small town of Hamilton. 
Elizabeth Miller Wilson traveled to the Oregon Territory in 1851 in hopes of educating the native Chinook people, and she actually learned to speak the language. She took a teaching position at the reservation, and... uh, You know, just an amazing, again, dedication to learn a language. You had no idea what it was. But without the school moms who came over the plains to be instruments of good, westward advancement, it would have stagnated. I mean, education was absolutely critical. Hmm. Now, one of the first and only textbooks children used in classrooms across the frontier was the Zeb. The Bible. No. Uh... I don't know. McGruffy Reader. Oh, the McGruffy yeah, Reader. You, you, yeah. I know you've yep, heard of that. Yep, 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 yep. And yep, it was yep. written by Reverend Dr. William Holmes McGuffey. But going back to my answer, the Bible was used oh, yes. a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it had to yeah. be. Well, in, in the homes, yeah. no doubt, yeah. But he was a Pennsylvania-born educator and president of Ohio University, and the material introduced children to a series of characters that were honest, truthful, and kind. The easy-to-follow, predominantly one-syllable word fables of people of every age and from every walk of life. And the the book contained a total of 55 stories. Wow. And that was used, you know, who knows how many Do you have thousand. a copy of that? I do not. I think it would be fun to have yeah, that. I was just going to say, and I'm not trying to be funny, I mean, that would be really a keepsake on a bookshelf. You know, it really would. Uh, so... I'm going to tell you about some rules for teachers. Okay. In 1872, number one, teachers each day will fill lamps and clean chimneys. Clean the chimney? Well, now, I think that may be the chimney on the lamp, wouldn't you think? I don't know. I mean, it can't be the fireplace chimney. I wouldn't think it would be. (laughs) To do that every day? Yeah. Uh, I think it... Didn't they refer to the glass on a on a lamp as the so, chimney because yeah. yeah. they would get kind of smoky? Yeah. Okay, so number two, each teacher will bring a bucket of water and a scuttle of coal for the day's session. What's what's a scuttle? Th- that's like a bucket. It's, oh. it's a bucket with a kind of a lip around it. Okay, but why did they have to bring in the coal? Uh, because I suppose that's the only thing they had to heat the, their Franklin stove oh, with. Okay, uh, all right. So they they probably didn't have a actual fireplace. I see. Just one of those metal stoves. I see. So number three, make your pens carefully. You may whittle nibs to the individual taste of the pupils. Huh. So. Uh, okay, I'm assuming the feather pen, the quill, and then and then whittle it down so it fits their fingers or whatever. I, I, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So men teachers may take one evening each week for courting purposes or two two evenings a week if they go to church regularly. Ah, you got it. Yes, sir. In other words, if you're going to date, you better go to church. There you go. Now, number five, after 10 hours in school, the teachers may spend the remaining time reading the Bible or other good books. Ten hours, ten a, hours day? a day. Wow. Now, number, I, I can't imagine the students being there. For I can't hours. either. I, I, and maybe it was just they had to be in the school. I, I, I don't, don't know. know. So number six, women teachers who marry or engage in unseemly conduct, conduct will be dismissed. So they couldn't marry. They're gone. Yeah. Number seven. 
every teacher should lay aside from each day a goodly sum of his earnings for his benefit during his declining years so that he will not become a burden on society. Pretty hard to do that on 50 bucks a <laughs> year. <laughs> well, and if you're only getting eggs and, Holy and you know, what, what do you put away? They're not going to keep forever. Yeah, yeah. Number eight, any teacher who smokes uses liquor in any form, <laughs> frequents pool or public halls, oh, oh, wait for this one, Zeb, or gets shaved in a barber shop, will give good reason to suspect his worth, intentions, integrity, and honesty. You're kidding. So evidently, oh the barber shops were not a place that you should frequent. I see. For whatever reason. Oh, my goodness. Number nine. The teacher who performs his labor faithfully and without fault for five years will be given an increase of 25 cents per week in his pay, providing, providing, Zeb, the Board of Education approves. Why, don't go spend that foolishly. (laughs) That's a whole dollar a month more, Zeb. (laughs) Holy cow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, it's just... uh, you know, like say, I've got, uh, my dad was a school teacher. I had two uncles that were school teachers. I had a daughter that taught for a while. Uh, but when, i got to ask you, when did they start a certification process? I don't know when that actually started. I know my father and a lot of the teachers in this area went up to Albion. Albion. To, to the, it was called the uh, Southern Idaho College of Education and yeah. also called the Albion Normal School. And... Uh, at one time, it was considered to be going to be the county seat of Cajun County, but yeah. then the government closed the college, and of course, then it ended up down in Burley. But uh, I, I appreciate some of my teachers. I, I really have to say that uh, I had some teachers that had a huge influence on me, and when I got to college, I had a uh, professor that really, really influenced me to the fact that I came to the realization that. I could do better in college. I just had to work harder. Yeah. And I appreciate forever his attitude towards, you know, you better get to work or you're not going to be in my class kind of thing. I had teachers like that, and I go back to my grade school teacher, Mrs. Kiltz, and believe me, that lady had the biggest influence on my life. And I had an occasion when she was 97 years old. I flew home to see my family one time, and she was in a retirement home, a rest home, and I made it a point to go see her. And that was the greatest treat that I ever had in my life. Yeah. Well, like I say, to me, there's several professions that are underpaid, school teachers, firemen, and policemen. Oh, absolutely. In fact, around here, a lot of the school teachers, I'm going to say most of them, had other things. Like, we had a farm. Yeah. So in the spring and the fall, we spent a lot of late nights uh, getting crops in, and in the fall, getting a lot of crops, you know, hay and stuff. So. Uh, I enjoyed that. We have never, in my opinion, really gone in-depth into the teachers in the Old West. Right. And uh, I actually have given two or three stories in here about some some of the teachers. Wow. But one of them was a lady that was in the Donner Party. Really? Yeah, Martha Graves, I believe. She was in the Donner Party, and she was in the rescue party that left and headed over to... uh, to get rescued. Wow. She survived wow. and became a school teacher over there. Oh, my. Now, that's a story I want to hear. 
Yeah, and I have done that. It was quite a, few, quite a while ago Okay, uh, this Martha Graves. Doctor History, you hit it out of the park. That was interesting. Well, it's a profession that's near to my heart. Yeah, I can see that. My my father taught me 7th grade PE, 8th grade math, ninth grade driver's ed, and ninth grade basketball coach. So as far as the driver's ed is concerned, your dad let you slip a little bit on certain things. Well, you still fu- ran over my water deals in the lawn. Okay, the funny thing <laughs> is, he didn't do that with my next three brothers. I guess he figured... He ruined me and <laughs> didn't want to take chance with my brothers. Oh, I love this program. I lo- <laughs> Some of your stories are absolutely excellent. Thank you Thank very you, much. Dr. History right here on Zeb at the Ranch. Uh, next week, you've got the uh, material all set up. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know how I am. Oh, I do. That's what scares me. <laughs> Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.